Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I'm Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And today we are so excited, so, so, so excited to be joined by the wonderful, the fantastic, the amazing Bridget Todd. Welcome, Bridget. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to talk about this with you today. I'm just excited to be back with you all also. <laughs> yes, yes. How have you been, first of all, Bridget? I have been good. I was just talking to Sam a bit ago about, I just came back from Berlin. Kind of a weird time to be doing international travel, but the trip was really good. Happy to be back in the United States. Uh, yeah, things are good. How, how are you two? Good. Uh, we've also, I've been traveling more than normal lately. So I'm pretty tired. And I actually am taking this weekend off. I've told everyone like, leave me be. <laughs> I need some time. I'm going to carve my pumpkin and watch some Halloween movies. And that sounds perfect for me. Ooh. Yes. But Samantha and I recently did a trip together to some haunted houses. So that was fun. <laughs> How? Wait, did you, the last time that we talked, I think you were telling me that you knew all of these tricks to get them to like the character actors to scare you more? Did you did you all do those tricks? Well, Samantha, no, because she doesn't <laughs> want that. <laughs> I don't want that. I did not. I try to avoid it at all costs. I will say there was a lot of uh, just essentially manhandling of Annie, which I like tugged onto her and pushed and pulled her <laughs> to try to avoid any ghosts of people scaring me. <laughs> I did fail at one point. We uh, I did discover that if you separate from the crew, like if you're in a crowd you're more likely to avoid things. If you separate from that crew, you're not 
going to avoid it. And it got bad enough that I started pushing Annie while Annie was trying to see <laughs> yes. everything. I was like, keep, and screaming at her to move. I was like, look at this. And, and you're I was like, like no. <laughs> So you're like, the craftsmanship is so nice on this. She like, really no. was. She was like, look at that. That is so cool. I was like, shut up and move. <laughs> <laughs> so that happened a lot. Um, I survived it. Yeah. It, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> I had a great time. <laughs> Annie had the best time, which I'm really happy for her because I wanted her to. I did. It was fun. It was fun. Not my cup of tea. <laughs> It's so funny how you don't want to be scared. Annie loves being scared. That's like an interesting dynamic of going through a haunted house together. Right, right. I will say, like, I love scary movies. I don't like being jumped at. <laughs> is that is that yeah. your transition into the topic of the day? Was well, that, yeah, I, of course, okay. obviously. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about these scary movies that I like. <laughs> okay, so I have to start with the iconic question, What's your favorite scary movie? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm doing a bit here. So if you're like, yeah, why did you say it. it weird? I'm doing a bit. Well, before answering that question, which is a very difficult question, I do have a story. So I love these movies we're going to talk about to the point that when I you sent the topic, I was like freaking out. I was so excited to talk about it. Um, and So we're going to be talking about Scream. And I, last year... When the new movie came out, I got this mysterious text from Samantha, and she said, you got to answer your phone. Um, and I hate answering my phone. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. And so I'm like nervously waiting for this phone call. And it was a New York number, uh, and it was Ghostface. <gasps> and um, he's like, oh, what's your favorite scary movie? I'm in your apartment right now. <laughs> It scared the hell out of me, Bridget. I was, I was looking around. Because <laughs> the newest one is based in New York. Um, but it was this marketing campaign where you could enter someone's phone number. And uh, he would call you and uh, scare you. Um. <laughs> well, obviously, he wasn't actually in your apartment. Otherwise, you were the final girl and like lived That's to right. tell the tale. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, but it was scary. And then uh, everyone like got wind of it. And so I got a bunch of them. <laughs> at, at what point were you like, okay, it's enough now? <laughs> getting, yes. It's like getting calls from bill collectors where you're like, oh, silenced, oh, silenced. <laughs> yes. I wonder if I could play it. I still have oh my God. it. Play it, play it. Oh, my, uh, yeah, I, I, I saved it because it even says Ghostface. All right, let's oh, see. Oh, that is, they really like, that is commitment. Oh, yeah. Okay. I hear you like scary movies. What fun, so do I. I find them very educational. What do you say, Annie? Let's play a game. <laughs> that is terrifying. <laughs> yes. Also, I have to say, it kind of, the bit about finding them very educational, it's it almost like, he, it's almost like it sets up. <laughs> it's wow. almost like it. <laughs> what we're going to talk about. So, yeah, that that was fun. Um, I'm a huge fan of these movies. We've done episodes on, We uh, I think we did one on the fifth one about fandom, toxic fandom. And then we did... Uh, one about Sidney Prescott, and we did one about the Harvey Weinstein thing, and the third one. It's also a big chapter in the book that came out. Um, but that being said, I often joke that when I was nine years old, I went to this 
place called Media Play, which I think doesn't exist anymore. But for my family, that was a big trip. You would go out to Media Play and you could get some stuff. And I, I still, I don't know why, but I bought all these rated R horror movies. And to this day, I'm kind of like perplexed as to what was going on in my head that I was like, I want these. Um, and the person checked me out as a nine-year-old, probably shouldn't have happened. But then when we got in the car, my mom was like, wait, what did you get? And <laughs> I had to reveal that I'd bought all these rated R horror movies. And she said, you can keep two. Uh, and so I had to return like urban legends and all these other horror movies. Ooh. But I kept Scream. And to this day, I think it like altered the trajectory of my horror movie love. What was it about Scream that like spoke to you? Like, what do you think it was? I don't know. Like, I had this conversation with a friend the other day and she said, why do you think as kids we sought out these horror movies? What was the reason? I think I just, there was something about like the, um, I shouldn't be watching it part, but also like, oh, this is going to be, it's going to give me that feeling of like release and worry. But then the, I love that about horror movies of the like going up attention and then the release. I think the probably the cover, I was just like, that one <laughs> looks good. <laughs> that tension release kind of push pull aspect of horror is exactly what I enjoy about it. I love just sort of going on that ride. And even though you know, like, it's just a movie, this and that, if you let yourself get swept up in it and taken away in it, it can really be cathartic. Yes, and terrifying. So the question of, like, what's your favorite scary movie is very difficult. I feel like I have, like, a favorite slasher and a favorite... But one of my my examples is when I was in middle school, I saw The Ring, the American version. It scared me so bad. And one of my favorite things is talking about the tech in horror movies. Because now you watch The Ring and you're like, how many people know this? <laughs> like VHS and now, you know, the phone. She leaves a message on the answering machine, which is so good. That's hilarious. But it scared me when I was young. And to the point I unplugged my TV. I put a blanket over it. I unplugged all the phones. And me and my friend Dylan... We're like literally leaving wills to each other. Like, this is it. <laughs> if I don't make it out, <laughs> this day seven. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> the power of it. Like, you know, it's so, it feels like a fun way to release this tension. But when you really, they can really get you, they can really scare you and stick with you. Yeah, that that bit about the technology in horror movies, like, I do think that there's something about anxiety around technology, communication systems. How many scary movies had the trope of like, the phone's gone dead, or like some bit of technology that we maybe don't fully understand or don't fully respect or appreciate coming back to get us. Like that is a common, I believe like a common trope that is really related to our anxieties collectively around technology, particularly new technology, or like over-reliance on technology that really sets us up for a kind of horror situation. Yeah, uh, and I, I've noticed there's like a whole newish genre of like movies like Unfriended or, or movies mm -hmm. about like social media and, and these kind of technologies that are part of our everyday lives. Um, and it's also interesting to see other movies like Missing or Searching where they try to explain a lot of horror movies, yeah, it's like, oh, the phone's not working, really? Uh, <laughs> like, trying to explain 
how technology can fit into that or how it doesn't and can't or yeah that dependence on it yeah can i rant for a sec please pay apps are way too public what happened some rando hearted a payment from five months ago and i realized people can see my entire history who i'm paying like full names it's super weird yeah it's weird how are you paying your friends then apple cash it's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text. And it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I just watched on the plane to Berlin, I watched Missing. And uh-huh. for folks who haven't seen Missing, it takes place almost entirely through screens. And so you're watching someone's laptop. You're watching like they're having a video chat with somebody. They're they're messaging somebody like you're watching security footage from a screen. Like the whole thing takes place on a computer. And I also there is like a thing that I'm really interested in, mostly because I really like cheesy movies that are kind of like trying to make a social commentary, but it's actually kind of funny, just like Scream. So I watched this movie, uh, The Influencer, recently, which I thought I didn't love, but, like, is about anxiety when it comes to people who share their whole lives on social media. Um, Another one that I watched that's kind of similar to that is um, Sissy. Have you seen that? We We just just did did that as our film. Okay, what did you all (laughs) think? (laughs) It made me think a lot about... uh... It stuck with me, I will say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was definitely one of those where I left like, oof. Uh, <laughs> that did not 
resolve how I would have wanted it to resolve. But, you know, um, <laughs> the, the kind of making money off drama thing, which I know we're also going to talk about in here, uh, left me unsettled. Yes, I I agree. And I will say, like, to set up this conversation, the reason why I wanted to talk about this today is that I watched Scream, the first one, the original from 1996, yesterday. And I was like, wow, you know, this is a movie that is really about the anxiety around technology and media, right? I had seen Scream. Maybe I saw it when it first came out when I was like a child, but when I, I don't, I've only seen it twice in my life. The first time I saw it when it first came out, a, a lot of the, the, the commentary about media and technology and tropes was really over my head because I was a child. Watching it yesterday, I was really struck by how this movie is really a commentary about the anxieties people were facing in the 90s around media. So I should say right off the bat, I saw Scream 3 in the theater with my friends. I think I I must have seen Scream 2 like partially on television every now and then because I remember the Jada Pinkett Smith part viscerally. So, but I, but I don't yes. think I've seen the whole thing because I'm looking at the plot on Wikipedia and I'm like, none of this seems familiar to me. Oh dear. I love Scream 2. It was filmed in Georgia. Agnes Scott. Um, oh! <laughs> made yes. in Georgia. Have you ever seen that at the end of shows? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, it's it's what they say at the end of bad reality TV when they've been filmed in Georgia. Okay. <laughs> okay, I, well, yeah. Uh, I'm so excited to have this conversation. Um, and the second one definitely plays into to this. So does the fourth one. I, I'm excited. Let's, yeah, let's get into it. <laughs> Okay, so if you have not seen Scream, the first one, this conversation might have some spoilers, but like it came out in 1996. So, you know, what are you doing? But (laughs) having watched it, I was just really struck by the ways in which it is like a commentary on the anxiety that that folks have around youth and media. So the the rough plot outline of Scream, actually, Annie, as our Scream connoisseur, do you want to hit us with the plot, the plot outline? Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Yeah. Uh, so Scream is like many slasher movies. It follows a group of high school students. Um, and the movie opens with a very violent death scene of Drew Barrymore, by the way, that traumatized me. And introduces you to the killer who asks, like, what is your favorite scary movie? Quizzes uh, Drew Barrymore's character, Casey, uh, about what it is. And then from there, of course, we get various other deaths. The Rose McGowan's garage death also stuck with me. Mm. Um, but but yeah, it, it's one of the things I love about Scream is you're following this group of, of kids and they really make you suspect everybody. But as the story kind of unfolds, you learn that the main character, Sydney, her mom had been murdered and she had testified about it. And it was this guy, Cotton Weary. The names are also great in this movie. Um, <laughs> they really are. They really, really are. And there's also some media happening around that. And Courtney Cox's character, Gail Weathers, who is this like really ambitious reporter, is in town and trying to ask her, ask Sydney, get an interview with her about all of that. And then we have our character, Dewey, played by David Arquette, who I had a crush on from this movie, uh, who is like the deputy of the town. So you've got all these characters and they're just sort of slowly dying off, or <laughs> friends of theirs on the periphery are anyway. And our character Randy is sort of our meta commentary guy. He is the guy who has seen all the horror movies, and he is the one who lays out the rules of surviving 
a horror movie, which at this point, there's a killer around, so they're kind of joking that they're in one. Every Scream movie has a party in it, so they go to this party, even though there's a curfew, even though there's a killer. (laughs) (laughs) It, like, makes no sense. Like, she's literally being stopped. Dewey, as the deputy, has been told, like, by his higher-up, like, make sure she stays safe. So then in the next scene, he's literally dropping her off at a party and, and like, being like, okay, we'll have fun. Like, what? Right. Right. Um, but he's trying to, he's got a crush on Gail, who he knows will be there. Um, and they kind of form a duo. Married in real leaves, life at the time. At the time, yes. And Gail leaves this camera inside the party to spy on the kids, which is really funny because it has, like, a 15-second delay or whatever. Becomes important later. But Randy lays out the rules of, like, you can never have sex. You can never do drugs. Uh, you never say, I'll be back. You won't be back. You'll be dead. And then we see kind of people drinking and dying, people having sex and then almost dying. But, but all these things is build up. And then it's kind of hinted that it's her dad who is the killer. But uh, there's been this through line of her boyfriend, Billy, who's been pressuring her to have sex. And no, you don't do that if you want to survive a horror movie. And she also has a hang-up around it because her mother, after she died, all this commentary was she was a slut and deserved it. Uh, So she has a real hang-up about it, understandably. (laughs) And she eventually is like, okay, I want to have sex. I really want to have sex. And then it's revealed he is the killer along with his friend, Stu, Matthew Lillard. (laughs) And that they also killed her mom because they... Billy blamed Sydney's mom for why his parents got divorced. Uh, so it wasn't Cotton Weary. It was Billy Loomis. And then they say that we're going to blame the movies. We're going to blame the movies. But then Sydney like steals their little voice vocoder thing and comes out and basically kills them <laughs> with the help of Gail, <laughs> who's returned after her cameraman was murdered uh, and reports on the whole scene as a. Uh, I think it's Moby plays. I've seen yes. this movie way too many times. <laughs> yes. That was a really great rundown. Uh, so I tell you, I the character Gail Weathers. When I first saw Scream as a young person, I didn't really. So I've always liked bad characters, like not necessarily the like the like ultimate villain. Like I didn't like Billy and Stu, but like characters that are meant to be bratty or annoying or. I've always been like, that's the character that I like. And so I was obsessed with her character, her little suits. I thought she was so cool. Um, I I guess I like took away all of the wrong messages from this movie (laughs) because I then grew up wanting to be like a careerist, a a career woman journalist ball buster. Uh, She also had a lot of the good lines were hers. Like she really had good one-liners. So that you have set the scene beautifully. So when Scream first debuted in 1996, the country was really engaged in this, like, national dialogue about the impact of violence in media on youth. In 1996, President Clinton signs the Telecommunications Act of 1996, legislation that has gone on to shape a lot of our internet and media landscape even today. It was a huge change in the telecommunications law because it was the very first time that the internet had been included in, like, broadcasting allotment, right? It was being being legislated of, like, how they were metering it out and how people could access it and all of that. So as part of this legislation, the Clinton administration rolled out technology called the V-chip. Do you remember the V-chip? 
I don't remember the V-chip. It was kind of a blip in our, I guess, tech and media landscape. Like, I remember a lot of conversation about it, like on television and in, in, you know, with lawmakers. But ultimately, it had a pretty, a relatively, like, small impact, which we'll talk about in just a moment. So if you don't know what the V-chip is, the V-chip was technology meant to allow parents to block, like, racy or mature content from televisions. Televisions manufactured in the United States market since January 2000 were required to have V-chip technology. So V-chips worked by allowing your TV to receive a special code in the broadcast signal that was broadcasting shows and movies that indicated a rating of what kind of program that was and like whether or not it was suitable for different audiences. So, you know, when you watch TV now and you see up in the corner that little black and white logo, like TVMA or TVY, that is related to V-chips, right? So like TVMA would be content that is mature, so if you had your V-chip programmed, there would be a code in, your, in, the, in the programming that would allow you to block mature content from your household if you were worried about your kids seeing it. Uh, so the phrase V-chip was purportedly coined by then-representative Ed Markey of Massachusetts. According to him, the V stood for violence because they were really concerned about blocking out violence. But if you ask Tim Collings, who is one of the people who claims to have invented V-chips, he says the V stood for viewer control. Who, what is the truth? I'm not sure. So parents at that time were really, really had a lot of anxiety that violent movies and violent programming that kids were consuming were, was linked to violent behavior. There are like, I wanted to include here, like whether or not that is true. There is way too much research out there for me to, to summarize. Like some people are like, oh, there's a clear link. Most researchers are like, oh, the link is like needs more studying, not clear. Do you do you have any like sense of this as somebody who enjoys horror? I am under the impression, because I, I remember this too, especially as somebody who plays video games, this argument comes up all the time about violent video games, that there has not been any like definitive link proven. I And I think I found one that said, yeah, I mean, it's not like, a lot of us who see horror movies are, <laughs> I'm not a murderer. <laughs> like, I don't know. Most of it has been kind of, yeah, there's not, there hasn't been any science to really back that up. But there is a lot of anxiety around it. Like we were talking about before, especially around kind of um, parenting and like, what should I let my kids watch? Um, is this going to make them more violent? I'm much more, I have much more knowledge about like how certain entertainment and games actually help you work through stuff or form some skills. But yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of conversation happening and a lot of back and forth, for sure. Right. I know around this time frame uh, with all the movies, as this was in conversation, unfortunately, the Columbine shooting happened. And that was the biggest blame. Not gun violence, not bullying, but that it was the violence on TV um, and the games that the kids played, uh, that the two perpetrators played. And they focused on that really hard because it seemed to fit the narrative that they've been trying to set up since 1995. So like, Four years later, 99, was when the shooting happened. And, like, the conversations about bullying and the conversations about being outcasts, the conversations about uh, gun control, really was uh, sidelined to violence on TV and violence uh, from video games. I remember that being a huge thing. Yes, I've definitely seen that. Like, do you remember how the musician Brian Warner, who you might be more familiar with as a stage name, Marilyn Manson, like, he was really thrust into the national conversation about, like, what's wrong with our kids? And... Looking back at that time, even though my research, you know, I'm not a researcher, but when I've looked into the link between 
violent media and violent behavior, that link does seem fuzzy at best. Like it doesn't seem like there's a lot of information out there that really proves a, you know, a, a, a correlation. But I really understand how we still get so much like hand-wringing and anxiety about it. Because if you're a parent and you're worried about your kids, you're worried about sending your kids to school, you can't really control the legislation around guns in the United States, right? Like we're just, we've just like lost the ability to really, to really have any kind of like direct impact on that, I think. You really can't control what's happening at your kid's school when you're not there. I think one of the reasons why you see this anxiety around media is because it feels like something you can control. Like, even if that link is not really there between violent media and violent behavior, I think that in absence of feeling like they have something they can cling to, something they can control, something they can like, it just becomes a backdrop to project your anxieties onto that I, uh, that even if it's not really the appropriate thing to hand ring about, I understand how it becomes like in, in absence of anything that you feel like you can control, you feel like you can control the kind of media that comes into your home. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. And one of the things I find really interesting about Scream 
is that in the end, almost every killer realizes this. Almost every killer comes out and says, oh, we're going to blame the movies. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to blame this. Oh, I was on Reddit and now look at me. Like, it's, they know it um, and they use it. And that's what their defense is going to be in, in several cases. Like, actually, the defense they're going to use in court. Um, so they, they recognize that this is a thing. And I think it becomes like almost like a red herring where it's like, if you're so busy focused on Reddit or the movies or the this or the that, you're not actually focused on the real issues. And the killers in these movies, they know that and they're using that as a way to evade their like accountability for their crimes. They're like, I can just blame this. And because of all that anxiety, because of all that hand wringing, my actual motives, what I've, how I've actually done this just goes overlooked. Right. And it's... Part of the fun of these movies is they are so meta. So it's you're watching a, a slasher movie <laughs> that's basically telling you like, yeah, we know uh, people are going to blame us for stuff <laughs> and we're going to talk about it, which is one of the things I love about them. Right. And so the way that the Scream movies really were a commentary on the conversation around violent media that we were having at, at that time in the 90s plays into that so much because with technology like the V-chip, the burden was shifted off of like the government or TV people who make media onto parents to be the sole controls of what kind of media their kids are consuming, right? And so like, if I'm Stu and Billy and I'm just blaming the violent movies, really what that's actually saying is like, oh, it's the parents. The parents should have like used this V-chip to block their kids from seeing prom night or Halloween and they didn't and now he's a killer. Like it was just a, a real way to like, expertly shift the blame around that I think it mirrors the conversation that folks were having in the 90s. And so even though there was all this conversation and also public support around technology like the V-chip that was rolled out, in the end, one of the reasons why, like, Annie, you were like, V-chip, never heard of it, is because it wasn't really being used that much by parents. A study that followed 110 families from 1999 to 2000 found that just nine families regularly used their V-chip to control mature and violent programming. I have my theories on why this is. I think setting it up was kind of cumbersome. I think a lot of parents were like, oh, this is a little bit complicated. I'm not going to do this. So I went back to check the different rating systems. Like, we're most familiar with, like, TVMA and things like that. But there's so many of them. There's TVY, TVY7, TVG, TVPG, TV14, TVMA. Then inside of that, there's different content descriptors, right? D stands for sexual or suggestive dialogue. Uh, L stands for coarse or crude language. S is sexual situations. V is violence. FV is family violence exclusive to the TVY7 rating. So it's complicated as hell is what I'm saying. And so I can understand why parents were like, uh, this is way too many acronyms. I have work in the morning. I am not setting this up. I also suspect like if your household was anything like my household, if you were a teen at this time, the responsibility for setting up the technology and like telecommunications in your home probably fell on your shoulders. Your parents were like, I don't know how to set this up. You do it. So if you're the young person who is being asked to like, like you're not going to be setting up parental controls on your own TV if you are the person who is responsible for setting up how TV happens in your home, right? So that's what I suspect might have been part of why this like technology just did not take off. You know what I find funny though with that is Yes, I was in that generation. I was a teenager when the internet came out. Like, I did not have the access to internet until I left for college because my parents 
we're not buying the new things. And at this point, it was a new thing. And I would have to go to my aunt's house to use AOL. Yes. I mean, you immediately think of that sound when you connect and then immediately know the sound when it hangs up and you get real pissed off because someone picked up a phone. <laughs> yes, I was in that generation. I find it funny because, yes, we were part of that. Me and my brother, who are around the same age, were the ones who had set it up. But even today, <laughs> for my boomer parents, we have to set up anything with the smart stuff and the likelihood that we know even more so than the younger generations because they're so used to just having it around mm-hmm. on how to get it connected because we're like the OG of all of these things, it kind of makes me laugh because somehow the Gen X slash millennials are the ones who know how to set these things up more so even than most of the younger generations because they just always have had it. Yes, I've actually read some really interesting research and commentary that suggests that the younger generation like Gen Z, they might like because they've always had things like iPads and smartphones that are so sort of like drag and drop, so sort of like intuitive. And if you've always had them, the sort of inner machinations of like how they work and like what is being represented when you do things might be a little bit vague, a little bit vaguer to them than they are to somebody who was my age who like grew up having to understand that kind of thing just to like make it work, right? Like (laughs) having to understand like when you save a file, what that means and like how to find it and all of that. None of this stuff when I was first using computers was like easily laid out through user, like easy to navigate user interface. It was a lot of like squinting at the screen and guess and check and like, does this do coding. that? Yeah, exactly, we almost exactly. had to know coding in order to get access to specific sites. You're like, what the hell is, I have to control alt B what, F3 what? But I do find it funny coming back to that when you'd have most of these classics, because when I was growing up, I watched a lot of the cheesiest 70s, 80s, uh, horror movies because they were amazing and they were so bad. The effects were so bad, but it was so good because you still love that idea. I also loved uh, the horror stories. Y'all know what I'm talking about, like the classic horror stories, Appalachian horror stories mm-hmm. that you know came back. The nine like the scariest stories, like those are the things that I grew up with um, and haunted me. Still haunts me. I was telling. I think Annie had told you. No, Annie had told my partner uh, when I was in middle school. So this is way before y'all. Don't talk to me about age. Um, we would go into like different theater companies coming perform. I think I was in the fifth grade and they were supposed to do a Mark Twain uh, show. And we we're like, cool, cool, cool. Old school. And then it flipped real quick to an Edgar Allan Poe telltale heart. So for those of us who didn't know it was coming, hearing because they would have like the surround sound of the the beating heart and, and it haunts me to this day. That scary, like that story was one of the scariest stories I'd ever heard in my life. And I'm thinking back into like, back to like, would the kids today, would that have scared them? Or would they have been like laughing? Because they're like, what, what is that? What is this? Because in my mind, like it was scary as hell. But realizing how technology has quickly changed and how like the graphics have changed. And again, yeah, people don't even understand what the f-ing phone is. Like, why would you, why would you have to connect to, what's a landline? Why do you have to do, what is with the pressing? Why are, can't they just like call a number or say, Siri, call this thing. Like, it's quite (laughs) funny to me that I'm like, yeah, y'all probably don't understand how scary it really was. Yeah. Oh, do you ever watch a horror movie like from from like the 90s or beyond and you're like, why doesn't she just use her cell phone to call for help? And you're like, oh, wait. (laughs) It's like a huge... (laughs) 
Scott's phone. And oh my gosh. In Scream, there is that, like, the scene where it sets the audience up to think that Billy is the killer and a cell, because a cell phone drops out of his pocket and it's like, oh, a cell phone? Why? And the cops are like, why do you have a cell phone? And he's like, lots <laughs> of people have them now. How, how like, it was oh so unusual God. for somebody to just have a cell phone. Yes. yes. That means you're oh. rich or you're up to no good. It's kind of like the pagers yes. of the... <laughs> The my generation, <laughs> like that would mean immediately you were you were no good. Exactly. Oh my gosh, Bridget, you need to watch all the rest of the screen movies and just keep updating us because the newer ones have things with like Siri and your ring camera and like using voice commands and all this stuff. So, would you say that Scream is one of the more tech savvy horror franchises? I yeah, I would say that. But I also don't have that kind of stuff, so I never talk to Siri and I don't use Ring. But they, I think so. I mean, at least, like, it's definitely addressing the question of, oh, hey, um, this is the world we live in now. I think the fifth one has a whole thing about, like, Netflix and Reddit and fandom in that way. So, I, I mean, they are definitely at least engaging in this is the technology that we have and this is how we think it would impact or fuel this horror story that we're telling. Yeah, I I think it's really interesting when horror movies use technology as a way to, like, buttress whatever story or message, you know, they're trying to tell, which I feel like Scream definitely does. So after this V-chip technology is put in place, television programs are then rated for how much, like, racy or mature content they contain. And so to give parents ostensibly the power to, like, block their kids from them, even though parents aren't really doing this. However, the news, news programming, was exempt from these ratings. And so there was no way to block the news from your home using this technology, just sort of, like, giving it a pass to come into people's homes. This coincided with news media becoming more and more solidified as a form of, like, always-on entertainment starting famously with CNN as like the first 24-hour news network, later with Fox News and MSNBC. According to NPR media reporter David Folkenflik, the subsequent arrival of Fox and MSNBC made 1996 a seminal year for cable news. Remember that in the 90s, you had these like big, splashy, gory crimes that played out in the news. 1994, you get O.J. Simpson. Uh, 1993, you get Lorena Bobbitt. Um, The murder of Scott Amador in 1995, who folks don't know who that is, he was shot and murdered after an appearance on the tabloid show, The Jenny Jones Show, where he revealed his secret crush on a man who later shot and killed him and used gay panic as his defense during his trial in 1996. In a piece called How Scream Explored the Exploitative Nature of Nightly News, the Smithsonian Magazine spoke to Jamie L. Flexen, a professor of criminology and criminal justice at Florida International University, who said, the onslaught of round-the-clock coverage of bizarre outlier incidents powerfully shaped Americans' perceptions of crime, saying, I believe because of this, society is much more afraid. The boogeyman does exist in this way, an interaction between the human condition and the business of media amid a context of exploring rare situations to symbolize problems. And honestly, despite all of the anxieties and hand-wringing about violent media and violent crime and the anxieties around it, violent crime was famously down in the 90s during this time where people were so concerned about it. Yeah, and I think one of the things Scream does also is that it, this was before true crime had really taken off. People were still fans of it, but it had, there was no Netflix yet. There was no like places where it could binge it yet. But there's a point where 
as the the daughter of this woman who had been murdered that people are constantly talking about, like constantly kind of sharing their theories like, oh, no, you're wrong. You lied about her. There's a point where she like vocalizes this, this fear that she has that if she says something like out of place, they will blame her dad mm-hmm. because it's usually the like, husband or that like she has this in her head that there are people watching her 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 story what has happened and trying to dissect it and having to like live with okay I really don't want them to think it was my dad which feels like now watching it almost like premonition or something like it was it was very on point with that and then going back to something you said earlier Bridget the second one um, spoilers, the one of the killers is Billy Loomis's mother. Oh. Yes. And she has a whole speech that's like, they always blame the mother. And she did do it. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, that's why they're but, blaming her, because she did it. But it was interesting, because it's like they were, she, it was her and then Timothy, Timothy Oliphant's character, Mickey, who was like, I'm going to blame the movies. And she was like, I never believe that defense, never once. She kills Mickey. It's like, no. I just am so upset about what happened to my son and that you did it. But the, like that idea of, you know, that story that we want to believe or that is being told um, that we're seeing in our media uh, that they really, because uh, I, I mean, I could go on and on. Samantha knows, like the fourth one is all about true crime as well. The fifth one's all about fandom. And in fact, one of the actors went on to Reddit to learn about toxic fandom, <laughs> to play a role in there. But also, like, going back to... The internet was just becoming really big for a lot of us around the time this movie came out. And uh, just for a fun fact, uh, this is one of the first movies that had... They were worried about spoilers, so they wrote different scripts after the first one because they got leaked online. And so it's really interesting in that way, too, of, like... And they even talk about it in the third one about how they have multiple scripts and they don't know which one the murderer is following. As I said, um, Annie's a Annie's, Annie's a, an expert on all things. Scream, but you know, coming back to she is she don't don't, don't think she doesn't one. already know. She's already she's already read the article. I sent her things and she's like, I know I read this a while ago. I was used as a source. Exactly. <laughs> Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. 
that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, But you know, one of the things coming back to how like uh, news had become a whole thing, I just remembered like the 80s, late 80s and 90s were filled with like unsolved mysteries. Mm -hmm. Rescue 911 was regularly played at our house and that started in 1989. And then you also had things like um, the top 10 most wanted, which was like talking about that boogeyman that comes around. But there also had been that moment where news anchors were getting Pulitzers for being big storytellers. So if they could solve a crime and do it while on air, they would get these accolades. And I remember that being a huge thing. Barbara Walters was huge at that point in time. 60 Minutes, which is still going, but like that was coming out huge because they they would follow people like O.J. Simpson and then have that exclusive interview doing the behind the scenes. Lorena Bobbitt, I remember this case specifically because the husband came on talking about his thing and had his huge thing of fame. Like so many things. Now, like Lorena Bobbitt wasn't so bad in my mind back then. Yeah, but today I'm like, oh, OK, I get it. Um, I don't condone what she did, but I'm just saying I get it. Uh, but like the early 90s, which... This is that high. It is. If you look back, I didn't think about it then, obviously, but it was going after those reporters who were just willing to, like, crawl over all of the victims, which has become a circus today and is a huge, different, whole different conversation. And now it's in as, as a podcast. But that was really kind of that beginning of like, oh, they want to see the gory details. They want to know the depth of depravity of men. And then if we can say it in a perfect story to haunt everyone, we're going to be famous. And you even see that in Scream with Gail. You know, she's writing a yeah. book about the death of Sydney's mom and has kind of gotten personally involved in the case, advocating for the innocence of Cotton, the person who's been charged with her mom's death. And it's clear that she's not doing this because she like, like maybe she genuinely believes that he's innocent. But when she's talking about it, she says... If I'm right, I could save this man's life. Do you know that what that would do for my book sales? Again, iconic line from Gail Weathers on this one. But I do think that that dichotomy that you're explaining, Sam, about how the news media felt then is what Scream is, is, is meant to be a commentary on. So Scream's writers, Adam White and Michelle Delgado, said that Scream is meant to be an exploration of this 
exploitative nature of tabloid news that mines people's worst and most traumatic moments for entertainment, but doing so under the guise of like informing the public through news. And it highlights this kind of interesting inconsistency we saw in media at the time, that the news could cover the minutia of these gory, splashy cases and do so in a way that was exempt from this government V-chip rating. But had those plot lines been happening on an episode of like Melrose Place, they would be rated as mature. I think this moral inconsistency that we saw in media was exactly what Scream was speaking to, you know? Like, the Scream teens are, are, are scolded for watching too many gore slashy movies. All of this happening while Gail Weathers and these other news anchors are really, like, essentially stalking and surveilling these teenagers to breathlessly and relentlessly cover the, the, the minutia of this trauma they're experiencing under the guise of being like, well, the public has a right to know. Right. And it's no, we talk about this all the time when it comes to horror movies, kind of that, how it reflects what we're anxious about as a society, but also kind of that judgment of like, who is the, who's going to be the victim here? Those rules that Randy lays out of like, don't have sex, don't do drugs, all that stuff. So it feel, it also feels very like these older people are watching these younger people and like, yeah, you should have listened to me. You deserved that. Um, and now I'm going to put it on the news and make money about it. Like, it's it's very, oh, you are a young person who's basically living their life, but you shouldn't have done that and now you're dead and that's that's your fault. Yeah, it's very voyeuristic. And I think, I think Scream really does a good job also of like, I don't know, asking the question of like, sure, Gail Weathers is not out here murdering teens, but she is making money off of that. She's profiting off of that personally. So like, sure, she she may not be a murderer herself, but is she really that much better than whoever is murdering these teens? Yeah. And I love like, I love how every time Gail Weathers has this thing, there's something you have to appreciate as women because we're always told, like, ambitious women are terrible. When we were watching Gail Weathers, you're like, yes, go get it, Gail. But, like, every movie ends with her realizing, like, oh, I've lost all of my friends. Maybe I should. And then the next movie yes. starts and she's back where she's I'm so glad you brought this up. This is why I love, this is why, like, I ride for Gail Weathers in this movie and the other screen movies that I've seen is that I feel like the movie is setting us up to be like, wow, what an annoying, conniving She's going to have a gory death and really get hers. And won't that be great? But Gail Weathers always comes out on top. And not only does she come out on top, she doesn't learn a damn thing. By the next movie, <laughs> whatever lesson you think has been internalized by Gail, she's back and worse. And I, I love that. I love when this is just like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I wanted to try to like connect this to some larger, like moralistic thing of like, <laughs> it's feminist to like it when like women are is. Actually, I just, like, think that's cool. I just personally like to see when a, a female character doesn't really learn anything. And, like, you know, I don't know. Like, is it so wrong that Gail Weathers wants her Pulitzer? Like, is it so wrong that she <laughs> cares about her career and, like, is kind of going to exploit some teens <laughs> to, to, to get there? You I know? mean, the few movies that I've... Actually, thanks to Annie, I've seen more than... I think you've seen everyone but the newest one. But the newest one, yeah. The game, Annie has made that. Th this is her gift. Uh, but uh, I, I will say, when she's in crunch, she's going to help out. Like, she's going to be there. She's got her back. She's going to take the perpetrator out. She's going she's gonna, she's gonna to fight. So when it counts, she's there. 
Yes. And then she's going to get hers. She saves, she <laughs> like saves the, saves the day. Like, right. you think, yeah. and, and also it really teaches you don't count out Gail Weathers. You might think she's dead in that van. She might look no. dead, but don't count out Gail Weathers. She'll be right back. She'll no. be right camera. back. She's got nine lives. That's the joke. <laughs> <laughs> Does she, is she, is she in the most recent Scream? Yes. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I also like in the the fifth one, it opens with Dewey like drinking at 9 a.m. And he's watching Good Morning America and she's on there and she's like talking about how bad her hair used to be. And I'm like, yeah, good for you, Gail. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> Honestly, I, as much as I love the like horror, women in horror movie tropes, like Final Girl, I, I, I would read a deep dive analysis of like, you know, character that we're supposed to hate, but like actually we kind of love. I, you know, if you've ever like, there's a, I think there are a lot of them in horror movies. Like, um, if you've ever seen, it's not a horror movie. I guess it's a thriller. But the hand that rocks the cradle. I think it's Julianne Moore's character, who's like the smart mouthed, like bad real estate lady mm-hmm. in uh, House of Wax. I remember famously that like, Paris Hilton is kind of the annoying friend in House of Wax, and they really make a meal out of her murder in that movie. <laughs> they really like are really excited to kill Paris Hilton in a gruesome way in that movie. Mm -hmm. Because she's like the annoying girl in the movie. One thing I do like about Gail Weathers, though, is like, I I, I like Gail Weathers. That makes it sound like I don't. But one thing I like about it is that her and Sydney have this really adversarial relationship. They become friends and they still fight. And I like that they show that. They still show like there's a, because Gail still wants this story of Sydney's. <laughs> and Sydney's still like, no, that's shitty. But they are still friends. So I, I like that it kind of plays out that way that eventually you're like, oh no, they're buddies and they show up for each other. <laughs> and they have a complex relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think like showing... They've been through a lot. They've been through a lot together. So they're not like <laughs> braiding each other's hair, but when it matters, they stick up for each other. When it matters, Gail's out of that van with a gun, ready to save the day. Like... Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm like, so, like, in deep in this conversation. I know. I'm, I'm, I am, I'm too. I, I told you from the beginning. <laughs> I told you from the beginning. And he's ready. And it is, I like, I like, it's, it's just a really, I don't know. I don't know where to go with this. I, I, I think Scream, really, they were on to something about making a commentary about media anxieties and anxieties around violence. And it's interesting to me that it's had such an enduring legacy of making commentary for like a decade now. Like I guess Scream came out in 1996. The most recent one was what? 2022. And... Yeah, so like like last year. A decades long legacy of commenting on our our collective anxieties around technology and media and violence and our behavior. And I think, you know, that iconic line that Billy says in the first movie where I think it's Sydney. Like you've seen one too many movies and Billy is like movies don't create psychos movies make psychos more creative. And to me, that's like the ultimate encapsulation of the entire anxiety and conversation of like, well, is it the movies? Is it the media? Is it the content? Or is it something else that these these movies are just allowing for more creativity or more, you know, a smokescreen to to like have people do more crimes and have more violent behavior? Like that line, I think, really reveals the ultimate anxiety that I think Scream is really commenting on. Yes. And I think like every movie has some version of that where it ends with, oh, I'm going to blame the movies. 
and it it allows them to yeah, I mean, essentially, they're they've found that they can do this. They believe they can get away with it through this. Um, but it's so many other things. Like it is, I think a lot of this also boils down to we can't just give one reason. There's not just one thing. Like maybe you did get on Reddit and it didn't go well for you, but that can't be like the only thing. Like for that Reddit has to have existed in the first place. And you also have a character like Randy who is so into horror movies. He's the one that lays out the rules. And he is not a killer at all. Like he he has consumed all of this stuff, maybe even more. Um, and he he isn't a killer. So I think it's interesting that they also have sort of a foil for all of these like killers who are the movies made me did it. And then you see Randy and he's not at all. But also it is funny that in, they always have this laying out of the rules scene. And in the most recent one, <laughs> they were like, oh, no, we're in a franchise. <laughs> like, that's how big it's gotten. <laughs> Not a it used franchise. to be like, it's a sequel. It's a, a trilogy. And now it's a franchise. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But it does, it has endured to the point that, yeah, it's a franchise. <laughs> and I think ultimately, like, that's my point, is that violence is such a complex issue. Like, we've been hand-wringing about how we curb and combat violence for so long that these tidy explanations, Reddit, violent movies, violent media, watching the O.J. Simpson trial on the news, whatever, just don't work. And I think that ultimately, like, that is what the film is trying to show, that interpersonal violence is always more complicated than that, always more complex than that. So if somebody is trying to sell you, like, this is, this is the reason, that person is, is perhaps not bringing the nuance to the conversation that it deserves. I think that maybe, like, that is what Scream is ultimately trying to tell us. I agree. I absolutely agree. Because, I feel, again, every, every movie has this, like, moment, like, almost montage where you believe it's every person at one right. point. Like, oh, it's you. Ooh. Oh, oh, it's you. Because there are all these complex reasons or or why people might do it. And yeah, just the like simple, oh, they watched a lot of horror movies. It just, it doesn't work. And that is never how it ends. <laughs> I have seen these movies a lot. <laughs> and that's not how it goes. <laughs> resident screen scholar in residence, Annie Reese. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a day. You've, you've brightened my day, Bridget. <laughs> Like, it's just so fun to talk about horror movies. Like, everybody in my life knows that, like, if you let me go off on, like, my, my favorite hor- piece of horror growing up and still today is Tales from the Crypt. I've seen every episode. When I was a kid, I used to do, I had, I'd do an impression of the Crypt Keeper that, like, my brother, we, we would, like, die of laughter impersonating the Crypt Keeper. It's just so fun to talk about horror. And, like, I don't know. We should get more than one month a year to do it. You are welcome back anytime <laughs> <laughs> to talk about horror. <laughs> I feel bad. I feel like I just went on and on, but uh, I have, you know, I could keep going, but then none of us would get out of here. <laughs> should we do, we should do a part two on Scream 2. <gasps> yes. I think this is like third episode for us on a Scream. Fourth. But there's something so, yeah. to say about every one of them though. Second one's Blame the Mother. Third one's Harvey Weinstein. (laughs) The fourth one is True Crime and Women. And then the fifth one is Fandom. The sixth one is Trauma. What's going to be the seventh (laughs) one? Trump. (laughs) I think think the seventh one is going to be 
Because I think Sydney Prescott wasn't in the most recent one because of contract. They didn't want to pay her. Oh, enough. is that? Mm-hmm. I think she's going to be in the next one. So I think it's going to be some kind of like. Oh, she is going to be in the next one? They're, it sounds like it. They haven't finalized yeah, anything. They got a lot of backlash for not having her on. Yeah. Maybe the, the next scream yeah. will be that the real killer will be predatory contracts. <laughs> <laughs> that lock you in for years. I oh my god, I would love it. I would find some way to talk about it on the show. Like, oh, so <laughs> honestly, surprised we haven't done the second of the new, new war franchise. Oh, I do have a lot of thoughts about that one. That one has a lot of bait and switches that I have a lot of thoughts about. Like, oh, I know the killer. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't. I mean, we could do an emergency episode an next emergency. week where the three of us see three of us watch one of the other screams and go to town. Oh Count God. me in. I'm here for that. Are you Absolutely. ready, Bridget? We'll see you next see week. See you next week. <laughs> yes. If if, oh, if we make it. I don't know. Who's gonna be the final <laughs> girl? Yeah, don't say don't say the line. You know what it is. Don't do it. I mean, anyway, I'll be right back, y'all. Most war movies are racist, so, <laughs> I so know. who knows? It could be, it I could... feel like the prediction would be Annie, but you know, whatever. <laughs> oh no! Oh wow! <laughs> I feel like I'd be the first one to go. For some reason, like Asian women are seen as like really trashy Asian fetishist level. Right. So unless it's an Asian horror movie then I'm the one that's killing yeah, everybody and maybe you've sure. got like one streak in your hair like ooh there's a she's got a red right. streak in her hair that's how you know she's a bad if it's not all yeah if it's not all pink right. then it's def- or purple then I've definitely got the one streak and I've definitely become possessed of yes. everyone <laughs> if, it's, if we're doing an Asian level of horror movie <laughs> oh man I'm so into this I'm into it um, however it works out I definitely want to hear your thoughts one way or another Bridget when you watch the rest of them because the rest of perhaps them. obviously I have a lot of thoughts I'm gonna watch you have an assignment I think I'm gonna watch them from tonight. now to next Wednesday yes oh I'm like legitimately excited oh wow yes this was so delightful so thank you as always Bridget for coming on we love having you where can the good listeners find you you can find me on my pod, There Are No Girls on the Internet, on iHeartRadio. You can find me on Instagram at Bridget Marie NDC. You can find me on TikTok at Bridget Makes Pods. Yes. Um, and definitely looking forward to the next time you come, whether it's screen based or not. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find us, listeners. You can email us at Stephanie and Momstuff at iHeartMedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at Momstuff Podcast or on Instagram and TikTok at Stuff Mom Never Told You. We have a T Public store and we do have a book. Or there's a lot of stuff about screaming there uh, that you can get now wherever you get your books. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina, our executive producer, Maya, and our contributor, Joey. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. 
Sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.